1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. This is what we're going to see
2: in Boaz. We're going to see he's not going to take no for an answer. And, what we, and when we see this in the greeting here that Boaz gives the kinsman, he says, ho. Ho is an interesting word. Because ho is a word that's like there's something, whoa, there's something, a surprise, something not expected. Ho. It's, God used that word ho. God used that word ho to express this is something you didn't expect. This is a surprise. When he said in Isaiah 55:1, he said in Isaiah 55:1, 1, Ho. Every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. Come ye, and buy, and eat, and yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money, without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness, incline your ear. Come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Boy, when you read that in Isaiah 53, you can just hear the Lord saying, You will not come unto me that you might have life in John. So, in the previous chapter, what I just read here, and this is Isaiah 55, right? The previous chapter ended Isaiah 54 with, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me. Then in the next verse, the next verse, in the next chapter, 25, the first verse explains what's the heritage of the Lord? It's for everyone, not just Jewish people, everyone, all people, come to the Lord, enjoy having the soul satisfied with what money can't buy. That's the friendship and fellowship with God. And the only qualification is thirst. That's the only qualification, is thirst. He says, he comes, ho, everyone that thirsteth. That's all that's required. The invitation is to come to the Lord, as he said, in um, come unto me, in verse 3, chapter 55, Isaiah 553 3, come unto me, and the surprise was to come and to buy with no money. Well, here's Boaz, he's calling out to this kinsman, he says, ho, Boaz, something surprising to tell the man. And Boaz asked the man, the kinsman, to sit down, and he does, and in verse 1, he's we see this scene now, he's sitting down there with Boaz, and, and now Boaz says, oh, I need some witnesses. So he goes and he takes 10 elders of the city. Now, we suppose that Boaz was himself an elder of the city, but he takes 10 other elders of the city. And so he's making this transaction now to be a public one when he brings these 10 together. And that reminds us of how the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins publicly, in plain view. The whole city could see on the hill up there. As Paul told King Agrippa in Acts 26, 26, Acts 26, 26, it says for the king, Paul was speaking to King Agrippa, and he says, for the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. This thing was not done in a corner. The crucifixion was not done in a corner, it was in public view, and that's not all that the Lord Jesus Christ did openly. It says in Colossians 2.13, Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities, and powers, he made a show of them openly, publicly, triumphing over them in it. See, not only did he die for our sins publicly, and that's when he blotted out our crime sheet publicly. He also spoiled principalities and powers publicly, made a show of them openly. So now Boaz, he's gotten these 10 elders all together in the city. They're all sitting down. He says to them, sit ye down here. And they sat down as it says. And now we picture the scene, you know, Boaz, maybe he's already got before this even happened. Maybe he had 12 chairs all in place there. We don't know. But we know that Boaz is sitting there, and there they all are, all 12 of them. And he's ready to speak to the kinsmen. He's got the 10 elders acting as witnesses. And so we picture the whole thing. It's very clear. And everyone is all sitting down. And he turns to, in verse 3, and he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi... Here's the good news. Here's the surprising news. Naomi has come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Eli Melech. So Boaz explains, Naomi needs money. Naomi needs money, and she's intending to sell property of her deceased husband, Eli Melech. Now, the way real estate was viewed in Israel at that time is not the way that we view real estate today. You know, today, real estate is viewed as an investment, with the idea, okay, well, I'll buy low, I'll sell high, and I'll make money. But the property was not viewed that way in Israel because when Israel entered into the land of Canaan first, for the first time, God divided up the land to the Jewish people by their tribes. And then within each area for a tribe, it was further subdivided by families. And it was very important for a family to have the land, to work the land, to live off the land, to have children that would work off the land, that would live off the land. And that was God's plan. And so God caused the land to be fruitful. And we can see today how fruitful Israel is as it is. And that's what he does with the earth. God does that. He causes the earth, as it says in Psalm one hundred four fourteen. Psalm 104, 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, an herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth fruit out of the earth. And God's original plan when he created the earth was that it would bring forth fruit out of the earth. That's what he said in Genesis one eleven. Genesis one eleven. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, rather, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. you am going to go out and get those oranges today. Just say to yourself, God made that to come out of the earth. And then He said in Genesis 1:29, God said, "Behold, to man I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree." yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat. Okay. So God wanted every family in Israel to have their own parcel of land and that that land was to bring forth the food for that family. The land had to stay in the family. And if a parcel was sold, then at the year of Jubilee, then the land would return to the family. And so the families would continue and not be snuffed out through a lack of property. But if a man died, and he had no children, then it was expected that his brother would take his widow and have children with her, and that those children would be counted as the children of the deceased man, the deceased husband, and they would return to the land and continue in that family's name. And in the rare event that there were no male children born, then the land would transfer to the family that bought it, and that family would discontinue in Israel. So when Boaz told this kinsman that Naomi intended to sell a parcel of land, that meant that the land would still be counted as Eli Melech's land. Now, since Naomi was too old to have children herself, and Eli Melech didn't have any surviving children, this kinsman assumed, well, that there was no way for Eli Melech's family to continue on. So he thought, oh, great, this land of Eli Melech's is going to become part of my. Assets It's going to become part of my family property. And that's how Boaz initially presented the offer to him when he said in verse 4, I thought to advertise these saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of the people, and so forth. So what we see now is in a proposal that Boaz has talked about, he's talked about this land, he's presented this offer, so that it seems to the kinsmen, wow, this is too good to be true. This is a great deal. I will be able to increase as a rare opportunity my property. And in fact, that was the way that Boaz presents this offer to the kinsman. Boaz is masterful here. He presents to him such a good deal like a like a secret hot tip. You know, you can picture this. In fact, the Hebrew is very graphic here in verse four, when it says, I thought to advertise thee. In the original, there's two Hebrew words that are used here. One word is the word ear and the other is to uncover. So really what he said was, you know, I came to uncover your ear. In other words, you know, take the hair off that was covering his ear so that he could whisper a secret in his ear. This is a hot tip, right? It's a great, uh, so Boaz is saying, look, the, you, know, you know, I want to whisper a secret and you that there's a great opportunity here for you. You're going to get a great deal. You're going to increase your property. It's going to all be all yours. And we can see Boaz encouraging him to go for it. You know, and, and he says in verse 4, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. Now, we can picture the ten elders, you know, they're sitting there nodding in their heads, and they're saying, wow, such a deal. That's a real opportunity you got there. You should grab it. That's such a rare find, a great deal, an opportunity that like that only knocks once. Go for it. And now we see how Boaz is telling the kinsman that this opportunity might slip away. It might slip away because he's next in line. And if he doesn't take the offer, then Boaz will. And Boaz does this with the words in verse 4: If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if not, if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there's none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. So at this point, we would say to Boaz, Boaz, what are you doing? (laughs) You just presented to this man this incredibly good deal. He's going to jump on it. What are you doing? Which is exactly what we see him doing when he gives his reply. At the end of verse 4, and he said, I will redeem it. He jumps on it. I will redeem it. I mean, this was Boaz's plan. Because what Boaz has done is to draw out the greed of this kinsman, the design of the laws of property, was not for self-enrichment. That was never God's design for self-enrichment. It was always service. It was always ministry. You keep the property in the name of the family of the deceased. But this kinsman, he has no interest in serving. He has no interest in ministering so that the families can keep their property and remain in the, the name of the deceased. This kinsman is only thinking of himself, and what a great deal this is going to be for himself. So, when, so Boaz by saying, "Let me uncover your ear, so that I can tell you the secret." Boaz has played right into this man's interest for self-enrichment. It's like Boaz is fishing, you know, and he's moving the bait along to lure the fish, and then the, this fish, you know, responds to us when he says, "I will redeem it." He jumps on. It. Okay. So now that Boaz has drawn out this man's hunger. To be, to be enriched, self-enrichment. Now Boaz has drawn out this man's greed. It's come up to the surface now, and this kinsman is thinking that, boy, this is too good to be true. And Boaz drops his bombshell with, oh, by the way. You know, it's a <laughs> Verse five, oh, by the way. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Now Boaz says, oh, by the way, when you buy this field, you have to also marry Ruth. You have to marry up Ruth to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. Now, when you look at what Boaz says, Boaz has just, this is masterful. He's just put four painful barbs (laughs) that he's jabbed this man with. And the first painful barb that, Joab, that Boaz here has jabbed the man with, the kinsman with, is when he said, what day thou buyest the field? See, here, Boaz is saying, I know you want to buy the field, but let me just tell you, on the very day that you buy it, you have to marry Ruth on that day. <laughs> because she goes along with the field, by the way. And, and because, but, and you know that Naomi, she's too old to marry, and Eli Malek's, Sons, they, they didn't have any children, and so Ruth is the closest childbearing relative to Eli Melek to raise up seed for Eli Melek. So, you know, have a great life married to Ruth. <laughs> oh, by the way, I promise I'll attend the wedding. <laughs> I'll throw rice. Oh. And so we can just picture the kinsman there. He's cringing at the thought of marrying Ruth on the very day that he buys the field. I mean, men just love being forced into a marriage, Yeah. <laughs> and let me just point out something here. By the way, the books in the Bible are all written by men. And if there was a woman that was pretty, the Bible is quick to point that out. Right? So, you know, Sarah, uh, Genesis twelve fourteen. it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair, very beautiful. Rebecca pointed out to be pretty in Genesis 24, 16. The damsel was very fair to look upon. A virgin neither had any man known her. Fair to look upon, that means she was not an eyesore. And that's what it means, okay? Rachel, Rachel was pointed out in Genesis 29, 17. Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And the Bible points out when a woman is particularly pretty. Now, what's interesting, there is no mention that Ruth was particularly beautiful. But Boaz loved Ruth and wanted to marry her. And it was not because Ruth was outwardly beautiful, otherwise it would have been pointed out. But Boaz valued an inner beauty in Ruth. And Boaz said what that beauty was in verse 11 of chapter 3, Ruth 3.11. Now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So Boaz saw what everybody else saw in Ruth, a virtuous woman. He saw a virtue in her, and he said, that's a valued treasure. He saw that virtue like Proverbs states it in Proverbs 12.4. Proverbs 12.4 says, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Proverbs 31.10, Proverbs 31.10 says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Proverbs 31.30, Proverbs 31.30, favor is deceitful, that means beauty. Beauty is deceitful, Uh, favor, sorry. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be much praised. The second painful barb, that Boaz jabbed into this kinsman was when Boaz said in verse five, when he said, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess. (laughs) When when Boaz referred to Ruth, he didn't say Ruth, he said Ruth the Moabitess. Boaz was telling the kinsman that he wouldn't just be marrying Ruth, he'd be married to Ruth the Moabitess. And the Moabites were hated by the Jewish people. So, so Boaz was telling the kinsmen, oh, congratulations, you're going to have a Moabitess wife as part of your family. And we can just picture the kinsmen, you know, kin, cringing again. He has the thought of being, oh, no, being married to a Moabitess that's not particularly beautiful even. Anyway, then the third barb, the third painful barb that Boaz jabbed into this kinsman was when he said in verse 5, the Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. <laughs> That's like, oh boy, that's a pointed way to introduce a woman by calling God uh, by calling her the wife of the dead. <laughs> it's like uh, mm. that's like Boaz saying, you know, well, here's your new bride. She's the wife of the dead. I mean, her last ma- her last husband died. Good luck, pal. <laughs> Hope you make it. All right. All right, and so we can just picture the kinsman He's cringing with the thought of being married to the wife of the dead. And then the fourth painful barb that that Boaz jabs in the kinsman is when he says in verse 5, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So what Boaz is here saying, is, says, congratulations, you will be building up both the name and the inheritance of the dead. You will now be spending your time and your resources building up the estate and name of the deceased, not for you. Now, this was the most painful barb of all that the kinsman, he really felt this because he thought, well, I was gonna add to my name. I thought it was gonna add to my name. I thought it was gonna add to my property. I don't wanna be a servant building up another, man's, another dead man's name and property. And we can just picture this kinsman, the kinsman here, he's cringing again with the thought of, oh, what have I done? Building up the name and property of another man. Oh, Boaz is a master negotiator. He should have written the book, The Art of the Deal. Anyway, this was the barb that he responded to the most when he backed out of the deal. And after this kinsman realized that by buying this field, he's gonna be obligated to marry the widow and he's gonna spend his time and his resources building up the family and the name of a deceased person and then all that he's built up, including the land, would transfer to the children he had with the widow who wouldn't even carry his name. He backs out of the deal. In verse six, the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right for thyself. I cannot redeem it. I mean, the kinsman was really scared because at the end of verse 4, he says, I will redeem it. At the end of verse 4, he makes a commitment. I will redeem it. And once he's committed to the land, he's in the presence of all these 10 witnesses, these 10 elders. And now he's really nervous. And so he wants to back out. And so he says twice in verse 6, I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it. I know what this is like. Because when you place an order on Amazon, they give you a few minutes (laughs) right afterward to change your mind and cancel it with no consequences. Trust me, I'm an expert on this. So this kinsman, he jumps in and and immediately cancels his order for the land. And the reason he gives in verse verse 6 is, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. And when he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, it's very clear he's only thinking about himself, not for anyone else. See, he's described, this kinsman is described in Isaiah fifty-six eleven. Isaiah fifty-six eleven. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that can never understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. And Philippians 2, 4 warns against this when it says, look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. What did we just sing? Help somebody today. See, Philippians 2.21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. First 1 Corinthians 10.24, four. 1 First Corinthians 10.24, let no man seek his own, but every man another man's wealth. And then in Matthew 16.24, Matthew 16.24, the Lord said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I mean, we don't have these laws today of building up another person's name and wealth like they did in Israel. But there is a way in which we can build up another person's name and wealth. And it's described for us, which applies to us today, in 1 Corinthians ten thirty-three. First 1 Corinthians 10.33 says, Even as I please all men and all things, not seeking mine own profit but the profit of many that they may be saved that they may be saved when we seek for a lost person to be saved from their sins we are trying to build up their name in heaven because there's no greater reputation for a name in heaven than to be for that name to be written in the lamb's book of life which happens when a person is saved from their sins, as it says in Revelation 21-27, Revelation 21-27 says, They which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And Revelation 20-15 talks about what happens if a person's not written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation twenty-fifteen says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire.